We're in this series on the wilderness temptations, and I just want to read through this passage again for us this morning, um, and then we'll, we'll launch out into it. So here we go, Luke chapter 4. The story goes like this. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. And so we dealt with that temptation last week, that temptation to secure your own future and your own life and turn the stones into bread. Jesus was faithful, faithful through that one, though. So in verse 5, we pick it up. And the devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, It is said, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. So we're going to deal with that second temptation this morning where the devil leads Jesus up to an elevated place and shows him all the kingdoms and says, this could all be yours if you just bow down to me and I'll share it with you. Um, let's have a word of prayer this morning and, uh, and ask God to open up our hearts and, and our minds to what he might have to say through this scripture. Father, uh, we thank you for the gift of the Sabbath. For the chance to come together as a church family to um, be able to sing together and pray together and love on one another um, and celebrate life in so many ways. And God, we want uh, this morning for your name to be lifted up. We want you to be elevated. We want you to be worshipped and you to be praised. And God, that's what we're here for. And so we pray that everything we do, every word that I speak, every song that we sing, every prayer that we pray, every gift that we give, everything that we do uh, would be directed towards lifting you up. God, help us to find our identity in Christ this morning, for him to be our head and our leader and our savior and um, kind of the, the top of our family tree. We love you, and uh, we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Everybody said, amen. Amen. All right, so um, this morning, we're going to talk about that second temptation, and I want to begin by talking about family trees. That's really kind of the, the thread that we're going to be weaving all the way through the message this morning, is, is the idea, the concept of family legacies and family stories. Uh, anybody, I'm just curious, anybody ever been tempted to like research your family tree, your family history? Anybody ever gone on to Ancestry.com? Anybody done that? Amy has, yeah, a couple people. Like how far back does that take you guys? I'm curious. Like hundreds of years? 
Seriously. Uh, yeah, so um, I, I don't know. Um, before, when I was growing up, they didn't have, like, the Internet. Uh, and, and they didn't have Ancestry.com and things like this. And so I remember growing up, um, this became a thing, like tracing back lineage from my grandpa. My sister's here t- with us today. Say hi, Alyssa. Uh, and, uh, and our grandpa, Grandpa Lawler, got, went through this season in his life where he got real into tracing our lineage back and trying to find all the roots of our family tree. You remember this? And so we've got these. He had these long like books where he would track all this stuff and did all these interviews with families and great grandparents and where people were buried all over the country and everything and traced it way, way back a few hundred years in in his initial go of it. And, and we found out things like I found out things that I enjoyed hearing about how my family, um, on my mom's side, actually, it was like lived in the Cookville area in the hills of Cookville, uh, that my grandpa lived in a log cabin that he grew up in a log cabin that his family built with their bare hands in the in the hills of Cookville, and they would only come down off the mountain like once a month uh, in order to trade the goods and like the squirrels and coons that he shot uh, in, in the market, so they could get stuff at the market that they couldn't get on the hills. And 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 we heard the stories about how my grandma. Uh, who grew up with seven sisters, they used to share socks. They had like three pairs of socks. And so, uh, you know, three of them, three of the sisters got to wear socks at a time and then they would wash them and, and trade them around. We got to hear all these, these incredible stories. And then, and then after a while, my grandpa actually got like interested in going further back and he went like full private investigator mode. Like, like it, it went pretty wild and, and he traced it like in some ways all the way back, like into like the 14th century or something. And, um, and he ended up tracing his side of the family back to a, a town in Germany. Uh, like I said, my grandpa Lawler, so his last name is Lawler. He traced their line back to a town in Germany called Lollard, Germany. And uh, there was the city, Lollard, Germany. And get this. Now, we're talking about the power of family systems and legacies and everything. And here I am telling you as a pastor this morning, Lollard, Germany, in the 14th century or something, was a city that had its origins in a monastery. It was a city of priests and pastors. How cool is that? That that way back, like hundreds of years ago, my family came from a city of of pastors and priests. And and I thought that was so cool. And then he actually found a book of the history of Lollard, Germany. Sorry, I'm going way into the depth of this, right? But it's interesting to me. Uh, He he got this book and and we got it and it was all in German. So we had no idea what it said. Uh, But um, he had some translators look at it and stuff. But as we were leaving through it, there was one page get this, that on one page within two sentences of one another, there was the name Lawler and the name Gernand uh, on this book uh, from way hundreds of years ago. So like that might say something about our family too. I don't know, but uh, I hadn't thought about that anyway, but we thought it was really cool. And, uh, and so listen, here's the deal though. Oh man, how am I going to unbury myself from that? So um, we, we trace back our lineage because our family stories are powerful, right? Where do we come from? We, we have these deep questions about our own identity, about our stories, about where we come from, about, um, you know, kind of what exists in our past. What kind of DNA is, is uh, working in my cells? What kind of blood lines do I have? Am I related to somebody famous? Like Ashley's related to Daniel Boone. Like it's, it's, a, it's her like 
eighth cousin or something like that, eighth, eighth grade uncle or something, yeah. And, uh, or, or maybe we even think maybe there's an inheritance somewhere back in the day. Uh, maybe one of my relatives was a pirate and there's a buried treasure somewhere, you know, and, or, or somebody left something to somebody and, and the line ended there and nobody, nobody's claimed something. Maybe I've got an inheritance out there that's, uh, that's hanging out there waiting on me. Inheritance actually is an interesting word um, when we're talking about family stories. Uh, because you and I know that inheritance, the things that we inherit are not just buried treasure and financial kinds of gifts that are given from generation to generation, but we inherit lots of things uh, from generation to generation. I inherited my dad's loud voice uh, and tendency to yell for no reason. Uh, you know, uh, we, uh, uh, like I said, my sister's been staying with us over, over this weekend and her husband, and we found out that we share this thing where we blow our nose in the shower. We've been hearing ourselves like, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, so I don't know if that's like a family inheritance uh, or whatever. And, uh, and so, sorry, oversharing. And, uh, and, and so we, we inherit different things. When I was working on my psychology degree in college, uh, we, we worked on this idea of the power of something called family systems. And there's even this book called Generation to Generation talks about the power of family systems and the relational dynamics that get handed down from one generation to the next. The personality characteristics that we have, the way families kind of communicate with one another. And listen, sometimes families can pass down things from generation to generation that are really good and wonderful. Like, you know, Gurnans are are related to the Lawlers somewhere in our past, maybe. Uh, but we're also like really hardworking people and we're, we're loud. And, but we're also like really faithful kinds of people, you know? Like, so these are some things about the Gurnans. Maybe you've got some of these kinds of things about your own family. Like, like maybe the, I'm just pulling names out of hats. So if, if these are your last names, I'm sorry. But like maybe the Smiths are, you know, like entrepreneurial or uh, maybe the, the Millers are ambitious or maybe um, the Joneses like, always are there for you when you're in trouble. You know, like we have these stories that we tell about our families. You ever found yourself, if you've got kids, saying something like, we don't do that in this household or in this household, this is how we fill in the blank. Those are all examples of family systems being passed down to one another and us living in these family stories that we have. Of course, sometimes the family stories that we have passed down from generation to generation are not the ones that are life-giving, right? Sometimes we have family stories and systems that are passed down that uh, we'd rather not talk about. Maybe your family does everything we can to avoid talking about them, but maybe, maybe our family, we like to hold on to grudges forever and ever and ever, you know? Or maybe if you do something bad, we'll just black sheep and you're kind of an outcast in the family. Or maybe we've got tendencies towards addiction or alcoholism. Or maybe there are these threads of abuse that run through our families. Maybe we're stuck in a cycle of poverty or we can never get ahead. We have these stories sometimes that we tell ourselves that get passed down. And you know, right? Nod your head if you know about the power of these family stories. They can get a hold of us. They can grip us. We think, oh, that was the, a previous generation. That was something that happened a long time ago. That was my parents or whatever. And yet there is this systemic kind of deal that, that, that gets a grip 
on our lives sometimes. And sometimes without us even knowing, like on some kind of subconscious, le- subconscious level, it can inform our very identity as people. It can af- in affect the trajectory of our lives. It can do so many things, affect so many things about our relationship and about the way that we develop as human beings. The Bible um, actually talks about inheritance in several places, but but uh, in the New Testament, in, in the letter that Paul wrote to the Romans, he actually takes up this idea, this concept of inheritance. And he traces it all the way back and says, we've all been given an inheritance that goes all the way back to our first parents. He talks about this, that, that we have this inheritance that has an effect on who we are even today that you can trace all the way back to our first parents in in uh, Romans chapter five, and I, I want to go to the paraphrase of the message here because I think uh, I love the way that that Eugene Peterson kind of paraphrases this. So here we go. Uh, Paul writes to the Romans, "You know the story." So here we go. Here's some story language. This is family tree story kind of system language. You know the story of how Adam landed us in the dilemma we're in. First sin, then death, and no one exempt from either sin or death. That sin disturbed relations with God in everything and everyone. In in Christian theology, we call this the original sin, Adam and Eve in the fall. We call it the fall, where the devil comes and tempts them and And they fall to this temptation and they sin and and sin enters into this world and becomes a real part of our family story as human beings. And it's such a powerful, transformative and destructive kind of story that it gets its grips into every generation and every human being that's born into a fallen world has to deal on some level with this family story, this family system that gets handed down, that becomes a part of our identity, that we fall when temptation comes. And every one of us, Paul says in another place, every one of us has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So not only is this this a part of our family story, but it's, it's become a part of our story as well. Everything and everyone. He goes on and he says, but the extent of the disturbance was not clear until God spelled it out in detail to Moses. So when God brought the law to Moses, like human beings from Adam to Moses kind of went along and knew that things were broken, but they weren't sure exactly what was going on until God brought the law and spelled things out. This is how things are supposed to be. And people were like, oh, uh, yeah, we're way off in our family story. So death, this huge abyss separating us from God, dominated the landscape from Adam to Moses. Even those who didn't sin precisely as Adam did by disobeying a specific command of God still had to experience this termination of life, this separation from God. Listen to this line though, this little teaser line. But Adam, who got us into this, also points ahead to the one who will get us out of it. Adam, the one who got us into this, also points ahead 
to the one who will get us out of it. That original sin, um, when Eve took the fruit and, and ate it and then gave it to Adam, this fruit that had been forbidden in the garden, all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. There are lots of theories about the roots of that original sin. It's, is it about human beings grasping for more than, than what we need? Is it about disobeying God? Is it about a lack of trust or a lack of faith in God? But I think that one of the most telling phrases in that story of the fall is the actual line that the serpent gives Eve. If you take this fruit and eat it, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 4, you will be like God. She, the serpent goes on, knowing the difference between good and evil. If you take this fruit, you will be like God. I think there's something in the original temptation, that original sin of the fall, where human beings are tempted to step up into a position in creation that was never designed for us to, to stand in. We're tempted to try and become elevated beyond our place in creation. We were created to be the worshipers, to worship the one true God, to be able to cast our gaze and our heart and our minds up towards our creator and our maker and our father. And the serpent says, you can stand on the same level as your maker. This this desire to be elevated, to be lifted up to a high place, to be, to be standing in really the place that's reserved only for the Lord, the creator, the maker of heaven and earth. I think that that's at least a part of what lies at the root of, tempta of the temptation in the original sin that starts off the trajectory of the family tree that's fallen so it's interesting that in the wilderness temptations, the first temptation, uh, the devil tempts Jesus to turn stones into bread. And we talked about how Jesus kind of takes all of the story of Israel into himself and does it properly and, and, uh, and doesn't reach for his own future and secure his own life. But he trusts that God is capable of providing for him and that his life is sustained. But then the second temptation Satan realizes that tempting Jesus on a physical sustenance kind of level is not going to work. And so he takes Jesus, did you catch this language, to a high place. My, my translation back in the old NIV says he takes him to an elevated place. This sounds familiar, doesn't it? If you could just step up here, Jesus, and, and in a moment, as he's got Jesus in this elevated place, in a moment... The devil shows him all of the kingdoms of the world. And he's able to look down somehow on all of these kingdoms of the world. And it's from this elevated place, temptation as old as time itself, that the devil speaks these words to him. Uh, I, I, close, I don't know that. Yeah, I've got it on the screens. He said to him, I will give you all their authority, talking about the kingdoms of the world, and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. Now, this week I, I was reading that, I was doing some study, and I was thinking, okay, how do all these things belong to the devil? Um, how, uh, how is it that, 
that all of all of these kingdoms of the world, who gave them? Like, did God? Like, are we talking about like how how for the the temporary season of the world that we're in, like the devil kind of rules over things? Is that what we're talking about? And for a while, I tried to do like this theological understanding of how Satan has this certain kind of authority in the world, but God is redeeming things. And then I realized, no, 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 wait a minute. And the devil is a liar. And let's just pause for a minute, guys. In the middle of temptation, the devil is going to tell you all sorts of things that you're like, wait, may, could that be true? Maybe. But it's so important for us in the middle of temptation when something that you know is going to be destructive or off limits of God or is not God's will for you, whatever it is, that, that you know outside of being tempted, you know objectively that this is not for your good and for your eternal life. That, that in that moment, it's so important for us to say, whatever it is that's making this look enticing, it's a lie. It's a lie. The devil is a liar. The world doesn't belong to the devil. Come on. Come on. I mean, in that moment, and, and you step out of the temptation, you're like, of course it doesn't. I mean, all of the scriptures, everything in human history, all of the times that God reveals himself, every moment that truth is declared, the reality is, like it says in Psalm 20, 24, verse 1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, everything. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. There is nothing in all of creation that doesn't belong to God in any time, in any place. It is all the Lord's. So the devil, this initial temptation, tries to twist some things around, tries to, to sell Jesus a bill of goods, but he's lying here. And Jesus doesn't take the bait. Um, but the, the devil, look, Jesus, doesn't it feel good up here? Adam and Eve thought it did. Adam and Eve thought it looked good to be elevated, to maybe step up into the place of God. You could have all these things. Wouldn't it feel nice to be elevated, to be worshipped, to steal the spotlight, to have a little bit of the glory and the fame and the power, to have people look up to you, to have people... Wouldn't it be nice to sit on a throne, Jesus, instead of to be raised up on a cross? You can skip all that if you just... And that's the thing. All this could be yours. There's always a price to a phrase like that, isn't there? Whether Billy Mays says it or, or, or the devil or anybody in between, all this could be yours. There's always a price attached. Whether it's 1995 and if you call now or whatever, or whether it's if you'll just take this fruit that the Lord has put off limits to you. Or if you will just, the devil's temptation to Jesus, bow down to me. And, and this is really becomes the heart of what the devil is tempting Jesus with. He's tempting him with the glory and the fame and all these things that on, on the level of the word of God already belong to Jesus. But as a human being, he's, not, he's choosing not to step up into that identity, into that role right there. He's choosing to, to stand with us. But, but the devil's trying to get him to shift his worship from the Father onto other things, onto lesser things, onto evil, onto the devil himself. But Jesus here responds. Right here in this moment of temptation when Adam and Eve fell, 
Jesus doesn't fall. That's a loaded sentence, guys. If all of our family tree from Adam and Eve to to Jesus, everybody always fell. Jesus doesn't fall. He answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. You know, we tell these stories about these generational kinds of things and, and every once in a while, we can point back to a place in our family tree when something changed, right? Somebody stepped out of the cycle of addiction and like all of a sudden their kids, their grandkids and the the nephews and nieces and like all the, like a whole new branch kind of developed, like the family tree changed or or maybe somebody gave their life to Christ. And and after just generation after generation after generation of, of spiritual emptiness and like like lostness, now all of a sudden like there's a new inheritance that's capable of being passed down. This is the way Paul describes it in Romans. He says, look, we've got this spiritual inheritance from Adam and, and, his, and Adam and Eve's spiritual inheritance is death. That's what they give us. They give us sin and death. And, and that is a gift that touches every one of us. Or that's, a, that's an inheritance that touches every one of us. But where Adam and Eve brought death, Jesus brings the gift of life. And when you compare the two, the gift of life trumps the sin and death every time. He goes uh, on in, in uh, chapter 5, verses 15 through 17. In Romans, if death got the upper hand through one man's wrongdoing, can you imagine the breathtaking recovery life makes? Sovereign life in those who grasp with both hands this wildly extravagant life gift, this grand setting everything right that the one man Jesus Christ provides. Here it is in a nutshell. Just as the one person did it wrong, and got us in all this trouble with sin and death, another person did it right and got us out of it. But more than just getting us out of trouble, he got us into life. One man said no to God and put many people in the wrong, but one man said yes to God and put many in the right. There's a spiritual inheritance of sin and death and there's a spiritual inheritance of the gift of life. And when you put the two together, like I said, the gift of life and grace wins every time. Paul goes on in Romans and the rest of chapter 5 and chapter 6 and 7 and in the early part of chapter 8 and he talks about how there's this old kind of family inheritance, this old family tree, but in Christ, beginning really with, with his birth, but then especially in the wilderness temptations when he chooses to be faithful and to do the right things and to show us a different way that humanity can walk that leads then all the way to his willing submission and giving his life and love on the cross for our sins 
and then his resurrection, this whole life kind of tells a, begins to tell a different family story and begins to give us a different family inheritance that we get an opportunity to live into, to say, this is who I belong to. This is my family. This is who we are and what we do and how we live. This is what it looks like, a life, our family story that is radically obedient and faithful to God and a trajectory that leads to eternal life because Jesus from the wilderness on begins to collect all of these places where humanity had failed and fallen and sinned. And he begins to take all of these stories into himself, all these family stories into himself. And then he carries all of these stories and all of our individual particular sins in his own life to the cross. And he lets that family story die with him there. It dies with him there. The old family story that used to have a power over you is, Paul says in Romans, dead. It's gone. And so he's trying in these, these few chapters in Romans, like five through eight, he's trying to say, if that old story is dead, that old life is dead, the old power that kept you in that old life is dead, you don't have to live in that old story anymore. You have been given a new life by the spirit of the risen Jesus who is available to you to animate you, to give you energy, to give you a direction and trajectory to bring you up into life. And this blew me away this week. You come to kind of the end of that that's like argument in Romans. Paul takes these several different sections of Romans and kind of does these different arguments. And this is his argument. That old family story, that old life is dead. A new life is available. And he ends this family story like this, or he ends this, this argument like this in the family story. We get to Romans chapter 8, verses 15 through 17. This resurrection life you received from God is not a timid, grave-tending life. In other words, it's not a life that you have now, but then you kind of go back to the old life every once in a while. It's not that kind of life. It's adventurously expectant. Greeting God with a child like, what's next, Papa? God's spirit touches our spirits and confirms who we really are. We know who he is and we know who we are, father and children. This is family language, guys. My, my translation in the NIV says that you have been adopted as sons and daughters of God. You belong to his family tree, in other words. It goes on. And we know we are going to get what's coming to us, an unbelievable inheritance. We go through exactly what Christ goes through. And if we go through the hard times with him, then we're certainly going to go through the good times with him. Guys, in the wilderness, Jesus is the start of a brand new family tree. And you and I have been invited into it. And you and I 
belong in it. And everybody who puts their faith and their trust in Jesus instead of those old dead powers of sin and trying to elevate ourselves into a place of authority or the spotlight or whatever it is, it's that family tree where we remember who we were created to be as the worshipers in creation the ones who are are created to cast our gaze up to heaven, to lift our eyes up to the creator, to our father, whose family tree we belong to. And can I just tell you a little bit about your family tree then this morning? You belong to the faithful people who follow Jesus. You are radically obedient. This is who we are. We're the kind of people that when temptation comes, we call the devil out for the liar that he is, and we continue to cast our gaze up to God. We're the people who continually lift our eyes up to the heavens and recognize that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. We are the people who are the adopted sons and daughters of God and who share in the inheritance that Jesus gives us and keeps for us in heaven. And in eternity, this is who you are. Now, maybe you know this, um, but we have some family songs that we've sung for a long time. Uh, We have these family songs that remind us of some of the truths about our family story. One of those family songs is just super relevant for us today. Uh, This is my father's world. This is my father's world. We're going to sing that and a couple other songs here um, now. So I want to invite the band to come back up. Um, And I want to invite you to stand. And guys, we're going to do something um, that we do in the family of God. We're going to sing. We're going to lift our voices. And maybe this isn't something that you kind of grew up with or whatever, but like this is what we do in God's family. We lift up our voices, the voices that he gave us to worship him because he made us to be worshipers of our Creator and our Father in Heaven. And so, uh, let's sing the truth this morning that the world we live in belongs to our Father.